you wonder how the ancient truth of the Bible intersects with today's news? Do you believe in God's promises to the people and the land of Israel? Welcome to the Lone Star Podcast, a weekly conversation to expand your mind and encourage your soul. Our hosts live in the two Lone Star states, Rabbi Dove Lipman in Israel and Pastor Trey Graham in Texas. This podcast is your opportunity to learn the truth about the God of Israel from two people who love Israel. Please follow us on Twitter at Lone Star Podcast to learn when new weekly episodes are ready. You ready to be encouraged? Please join Rabbi Dove Lipman and Pastor Trey Graham. We do welcome you to this week's Passover and Easter edition of the Lone Star Podcast. This is Pastor Trey Graham, joined as always by my good friend, Rabbi Dove Lipman in the land of Israel. Rabbi, how are you, sir? Thank God, doing well. Uh, you know, it's been a few weeks now. Everyone's caught up in the... Uh preparations for uh, Passover here in Israel, certainly uh, for the Christian community here, uh, Easter as well, and uh, looking forward to celebrating these special days. We are going to take a break from the normal Torah portion as we are studying the book of Leviticus because this is Passover week, and when we get into the portion from the book of Exodus in a moment, it'll sound like a conversation we had several weeks ago, but explain why the break and the going back to Exodus occurs on this week's Torah portion. Well, during the holiday, we don't read uh, the regular weekly Torah portion, but we read parts of the Bible, parts of the Torah, which relate to the holiday. So whenever a holiday comes along, when the Shabbat, when the Sabbath comes, we don't read the regular portion, but we read a portion which relates to the story. In the case of Passover, uh, there's an obvious choice. And that is uh, the book of Exodus and actually reading the story, reliving the story. On the first day of Passover, we read about the actual moment of the Exodus. And then on the seventh day, the way it works in the, in the holiday is the first day, which is a holiday where it's very similar to Sabbath in terms of we don't we drive and no electricity and refraining from all kinds of forbidden activity. Then there's a period of a few days, which is called Chol Hamoid, where it's still part of the holiday, but we relax some of the uh, prohibitions. And actually, in, in Israel, for sure, it's a place where people are touring all over the country. There's prayers every day, and there's still restrictions uh, related to Passover, which we'll talk about in a moment. Uh, but then the seventh day is another holiday with, with the restrictions, and there we read the story of the splitting of the sea. So we sort of go from one part of the week to the other and relive the experience of the Exodus with the people of Israel. So we choose to read a portion of the Torah that tells that story. So as I said a moment ago, we have been studying the book of Leviticus in our weekly conversations right now on the schedule for the parashah, but we're going to take a break from Leviticus and study the book of Exodus in just a moment when we talk about this week's Torah portion. But Rabbi, let's discuss one piece of news right now. Those who live in Israel, of course, are aware of the trouble along the Gaza border. Those in the U.S. and other places who pay attention to the news might be wondering what's happening. Those of us who will be coming to Israel in a few weeks might be fearful that it's not safe to visit. So tell us who's involved, what's going on, and then we'll talk about the safety issue after that. Sure. Uh, essentially, uh, Hamas, which is a declared terrorist regime, according to the United States, that has as part of their constitution, if you want to call it that, the destruction of Israel, they uh, are in control of the Gaza Strip, and they have uh, called for a massive march towards the border of Israel. And they call it the March of the Return, as if they're calling for their return to the land of Israel. And Israel is not going to stop them from marching. It's their 
territory at the moment, and they can march towards the border, but we have to be on very, very strong alert to make sure that uh, terrorists uh, don't come through that border. Uh, we already had during this week terrorists who made it through uh, and actually got very close to uh, some Israeli towns, and this is something that we cannot tolerate. So as a result, we have massive, massive forces along the Gaza border. This means that thousands of young men uh, cannot be home for Passover, but have to be uh, on the border, on patrol. Uh, we won't use force unless we have to, if people are coming in and starting trouble. But we'll be there to be the Israel Defense Forces. Hamas is trying to show the world that you know, they, they're still a force and they're still interested in coming back to Israel. And I remind everyone who's listening that Hamas has control over the Gaza Strip. Israel's not there anymore. In 2005, Israel pulled out of there. It's interesting that they're not focusing on rebuilding their area, but on trying to take more and, and come into Israel. So it's a tense time, and we certainly hope that everything will end well, and uh, hopefully on both sides. Uh, there won't be any, any kind of bloodshed or any, any kind of uh, injuries. Uh, we're just on guard, and hopefully they'll behave, and it'll be a peaceful protest, which is their right, and everyone can continue on peacefully. So when people who have a little bit of trouble with their geography watch the news and they hear there's trouble on the border with Gaza, then they start saying, well, then there's trouble in the whole land of Israel, as if something happens in New Mexico and everybody in Dallas needs to be concerned about their safety. We need to learn our geography and understand where things are happening and pray for the people who are right nearby, but explain to the listeners that all of the rest of the land, including where you live in Bet Shemesh, life continues to go on. You're moving ahead with your holiday preparations. Life doesn't shut down when these potential conflicts occur. Yeah, completely peaceful throughout the country. And even in the places near Gaza, Pastor, people are preparing for their holidays and going on about life as usual. There's more soldiers around just to protect but certainly the rest of Israel, uh, very safe and uh, looking forward to a, a wonderful holiday. Thanks to God and thanks to the protection of our soldiers. But certainly no reason for people to see that there's tension in Gaza and that that somehow means that there's uh, a problem in terms of safety in the rest of Israel. And hopefully we'll get through this problem in Gaza as well as we tend to with God's help uh, without any kind of real situation. So because it is Passover time and we need to discuss this week's Torah portion, as we said a moment ago, taking a break from Leviticus, looking back at a passage we have studied before, the reading for this week comes from Exodus chapter 12, verses 21 through 51. And for our listeners to catch up, this is at the very end of the 10 plagues, the very end of the deliverance sequence, when the Lord shows his power over each of these different false gods of the Egyptians. He commands Moses to command Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, to let the people go. The Pharaoh refuses until the tenth and final plague, which was the destruction or the death of the firstborn child. And so we begin this portion, which is just one chapter today, Exodus 12, 21. Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said to them, go and take for yourself lambs according to your families and slay the Passover lamb. We know from other readings that it has to be a one-year-old male of a sheep or a goat, and it has to be a spotless lamb. Talk to us about what does spotless or unblemished mean. So there are rules uh, when it comes to sacrifices that the sacrifices can't have blemishes. Uh, the whole concept is you're offering something to God, you want it to be the best. 
You don't want to be something which is somehow cheapened in any way. And then, you know, you want to show God that you're giving him the best, just like we want to give from ourselves and give from our best. So there are all kinds of laws associated with being unblemished. There was very strong significance in the command to take a sheep because the sheep uh, in certain uh, aspects of Egypt was worshipped as a god. And therefore, the very notion that the Jews were taking the god of Egypt and offering it to their god, uh, to the one monotheistic, all-powerful god, that's something which was very powerful symbolism, but also a great miracle that the Jews were able to do so without the Egyptians uh, attacking them for it. Uh, it was God's protection that was provided for them there, and, and that was a very important symbolic moment for the Jews, because according to our tradition, the Jews were steeped in idolatry in Egypt. They were assimilated. They were affected by the culture all around them. And the fact that they were able to say, we're taking this Egyptian god and offering it to the true god, that showed that they had faith. And the fact that they weren't attacked by the Egyptians was a moment where they saw God protecting them as well. So it was a real breakthrough moment, which ultimately provided the merit to be able to uh, earn salvation. The next verse is Exodus twelve twenty two, and it shows the physical preparation that they were supposed to do. You shall take a bunch of hyssop, which is a plant that was used like as a sponge. It says, and then dip it in the blood, that's the blood of the lamb, and dip it in the basin and apply some of the blood that is in the basin to the lentil and the two doorposts. None of you shall go outside the door of his house until morning. So I want to give you the Christian view after I ask you, Tell us the Jewish view of taking the blood of the lamb and placing it on the doorpost as the symbol of belief or obedience. You know, in all sacrifices, the concept is we can't actually give ourselves over to God by uh, killing ourselves, so to speak. So we give over the sacrifice instead. So taking from the blood of the sacrifice and putting it on those doorposts, the doorposts represents the home. And we were essentially saying we are uh, going to show our dedication and our sacrifice to God through the way that we build our homes, through the purity and the holiness and the ritual commandments that we perform and the faith that we have. And that enabled God when he came through and killed the firstborn of the Egyptians. God passed over. That's why the holiday is called Passover. He passed over their homes. And that was the moment where this real distinction was made between the Jews who are saying, we are sacrificing ourselves in the way that we live our lives and the way we build our homes, and the Egyptians who were steeped in their, in their pagan ways. And that's the way uh, that we see that symbolism. Of course, this is Passover week. It's also Easter week. And for Christians, the symbol of the blood of Jesus is one of the most important symbols in our faith. We have verses like Ephesians 1, verse 7. In him, meaning in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Romans 5 verse 9, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. So as Passover begins on Friday and as Good Friday occurs for the Easter celebration, on Good Friday is the day that Christians really memorialize and look back and grieve over Jesus being crucified. He's hung on a cross and his blood was spilled. John the Baptist called Jesus the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So this idea in Exodus 12 about the blood of the Lamb is the deliverance or the protector. We Christians connect that to the blood of Jesus is the protection or the deliverance for us. And 
in both cases, it's protecting us from judgment of God that comes as a result of our sin. So, Rabbi, the next verse is Exodus 12, 23, and it's a troubling one for all of us. The Lord will pass through to smite the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over Pesach. The Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to come into your houses to smite you. So there's really a beautiful good news and a terrible bad news in one verse. And that is the same Lord who protects believers and saves believers is the same Lord who enacts judgment on non-believers. So we see both the loving father and the righteous judge component of God's character in just one verse. Well, this is a very important uh, statement because we know that one of the elements of idolatry and pagan worship is the dividing up of God, so to speak, God forbid, uh, into different elements. And there's a God of good, and there's a God of bad, and there's a God of this, and a God of that. And we accept one monotheistic God, uh, one all-powerful God, one deity, and that encompasses everything. Uh, There is one very beautiful idea, though, that we have uh, in our tradition, because while we accept God's judgment and understand that it has to be carried out, we actually do not celebrate the fact that uh, the non-believers, the Egyptians in this case, who were persecuting the Jews uh, in the worst of ways, we don't celebrate that they're dying, that they're being killed. We wish that they would repent instead. And actually, during the Passover Seder, when we recite the Ten Plagues, we actually remove wine from our cups. We usually have one uh, full cup of wine, and we remove wine because we want to show that our cup can't be full. Our joy is not complete, but we know that other human beings have to suffer. So we accept God as the God of both justice and compassion. We accept God as the one who rewards the good and punishes the bad. Uh, but we also make sure that we maintain our human element, where we say we're sad that fellow human beings have to be punished, and we just accept God's judgment, even if we don't completely understand how all that works. Well, we would agree with you very much that no one celebrates the death of anyone. No one celebrates the loss of human life, physical life, but also no one would celebrate the destruction of a person's eternity and their loss of spiritual life. And so while we believe that there are calls to salvation and there are calls to repentance and God rewards those who believe in him and give their lives to him, we don't turn around and celebrate the fact that others have not done so. We mourn that fact and we never feel like we are special or we are better than the person who has not given their heart to the Lord. We are just forgiven. So what, as a Christian, we would say, we don't rejoice or celebrate in our actions. We celebrate or rejoice in the actions of Jesus on the cross. And that is because we want all people to come to know the Lord. Why? We think that's what the Lord wants. In fact, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, God desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And so this is a sad verse in Exodus 12, 23, showing there are consequences for our spiritual decisions, that my faith in the one true God will give me eternal life, will give me salvation or deliverance, not by my actions, but by the actions of God himself and my refusal to believe there are spiritual consequences for that. 
So that's not only a Passover element, that's an Easter element. That's really the basis of Christianity. It's nice to see that the two holidays you know, fall out at the same time and that there is crossover in terms of some of the messages that we can take from them. And because you and your family are getting ready for Passover just as we speak, the next verse is Exodus twelve twenty four. You're doing it. It says, you shall observe this event as an ordinance for you and your children forever. And then verse 26, when your children say to you, what does this right mean to you? You shall say, verse 27, it is a Passover sacrifice to the Lord. So you are living out the instruction of God given to your people, the Jews, in Exodus 12. Don't forget my faithfulness in the past. This is something which I you know, speak often to different groups, and especially to Christian groups who might not be aware, uh, to point out that this is 3,000 years now, uh, over 3,000 years, that we are practicing Passover and many elements of it exactly the same way for those thousands of years. And it's passed down from generation to generation. And even in the worst of circumstances, uh, in concentration camps in the Holocaust, in Soviet prisons in the Gulag, Jews found ways throughout our history to make sure to celebrate Passover. Uh, stories in the concentration camps of people making sure to keep to the rules of Passover, which are we don't eat any leavened bread for the entire week. Uh, people finding ways to do so, people writing down the prayers and the recitations on potato peels to pass from one to the other, just anything they could to adhere to the, the rules of Passover, to the spirit of Passover, and it's been done for thousands of years, and that's exactly what you said, Pastor, fulfilling that verse, and, and God is simply saying this is something which lasts forever, and uh, thank God, something that we've been able to keep to. Most scholars place the story of Moses and the story of Exodus somewhere around 1400 B.C., so 3,400 years ago was the commandment given, and here is our friend Dove Lippmann and his family and Jews around the world carrying out, as he said, over 3,000 years of history, living out the commandment, this shall be a forever or a permanent right, a permanent ordinance for you. We get to verse 29 of Exodus 12, and it says, The Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of the Pharaoh who sat on his throne, to the firstborn of the captive in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of the cattle. And what this reminds us of is we are all equal in the sight of God. Christians would say it this way, the ground is level at the cross, meaning before God's throne no matter if you're a rich man or a poor man, you're a powerful figure or a not powerful figure in human terms. We are all equal before the Lord. We all need God's salvation in our life, no matter how rich we are in this life. One of the messages of Passover, actually, we, we take a night um, and we have what we call the Seder night, where uh, we try to live like, we call it like free people, like kings, like royalty, and there's all kinds of customs that we have, uh, which seem very physical in nature. But uh, when you take a step back, you realize it's a celebration in physical terms because of the spiritual. We're celebrating that we went from slavery to freedom, but freedom to worship God, as opposed to these pharaohs and the Egyptian princes who had all the physical material wants in the world, but were slaves to themselves and slaves to their pagan worship. And the very strong contrast that we try to draw, where we don't remove ourselves 
from the physical, and we almost replace ourselves, and we say, replace, replace them. We say, we're the true royalty, but we're the true royalty because we have that royalty uh, because of God, and that is the significance, actually, of the Seder, uh, which is the festive meal that we have on Passover this year on Friday night. And I actually know that the Seder has some kind of significance in Christianity as well in terms of the history. The Seder meal is very important, and many Christians are not aware of its significance in the relationship with Jesus. And it has many important reminders, starting with when we celebrate what's called the Last Supper or the Lord's Supper, Jesus was taking his Seder meal. Jesus, who lived on the earth, we believe, as God, but also in the form of a Jewish man living a Jewish life, was celebrating the Jewish holiday of Passover with his disciples in the last meal. And he takes the bread, which we'll talk about in the next verse, and he says, this bread represents my body. When the bread was broken, he says that represents the fact that his body will be broken or injured or or hurt on the cross. And then he takes the cup of wine that's part of the Seder meal, and he says, this wine represents my blood. So when Christians around the world this week take the communion, the bread and the cup, they are not just only remembering the death of Jesus and his resurrection. They are remembering the Seder meal, the 3,400-year-old tradition that we're discussing today. So this is another reminder of many ways, Rabbi, that you and I have talked about what we call the Hebrew roots of the Christian faith. And that's why we do this program together. And that's why we have so many things in common, because those who follow after Jesus are following after a Jew who we believe was the promised Messiah, and he lived a Jewish life. So the Last Supper of Jesus that's part of Easter is the Seder meal. Pretty incredible uh, to see that connection. And and certainly for us, it's good to know that uh, we can all uh, celebrate together, uh, even if we have differences of opinion uh, about the specifics and in terms of the Messiah and in terms of ultimate salvation, but we can come together and celebrate God's saving the Jews from Egypt, uh, which is the beginning of everything in terms of the story of our religion and uh, and all monotheistic faiths uh, in the world. And that's something which is certainly uh, worth celebrating together. As we continue to walk through Exodus chapter 12, we get to verse 33. The Egyptians urged the people to send them out of the land in haste, for they said, we shall all be dead. So the Egyptians who enjoyed luxury when all these slaves, and the estimated count is about 2 million Hebrew slaves. Now the Egyptians see all the judgments coming on the Egyptian people because of their king's refusal to repent. Now they want to hurry up and get the Israelite people out of their country to stop the judgments, and they were forced to leave quickly, the slaves were, and so there we get to verse 34, the people took their dough before it was leavened, with their kneading bowls bound up in their clothes on their shoulders. And we also read in verse 39, it had not yet become leavened, since they were driven out of Egypt and could not delay. So when Christians take the Lord's Supper, and when you have your Passover Seder meal, this is with unleavened bread, and it's a reminder of several things. But one is the slaves had to leave in a hurry, and so the they couldn't wait for the bread to rise. But you've taught us that leaven has other meanings in the Scriptures. Absolutely. Uh, first of all, just on the most physical level, it also reminds us of, we call it lechem oni, the bread which uh, the 
Jews ate as slaves, uh, poor man's bread, uh, where the bread doesn't rise. So we're also commemorating that element as we relive the Exodus experience. But most importantly, bread and unleavened bread, what we call matzah, that's the Hebrew word, they're made up of the same things. It's the same makeup. The only difference is, in one case, it's been given time to rise. We have a tradition that's 18 minutes that it takes uh, for the dough to rise, and the matzah that we have doesn't rise you know, to that, for that point of time. But if it's the exact same thing, and just one is puffed up and one isn't, so the bread actually represents ego. It represents our puffing ourselves up. And ego is the one thing which really blocks a person from getting close to God. So we take the matzah, the unleavened bread, and we actually eat it all week long as we celebrate our freedom to worship God, and we remind ourselves that we must be humble, that we cannot let ego get in the way. And as we eat that bread, the poor man's bread, the unleavened bread, the matzah, that's what we're supposed to be thinking about, uh, how we can recognize that everything that we have comes from God and not to allow ourselves to be puffed up. And, and, and you can be proud of who you are, but recognize that who we are comes from God. And that removes the obstacle and enables us to connect to God and, and truly worship him as we should. Levin, as you say, puffed up demonstrates pride or symbolizes arrogance before the Lord. Many times in the scriptures, leaven is a more general term of sin, not just the sin of pride, but sin as a whole. And that's why the apostle Paul, who was a Jewish rabbi, wrote in Galatians chapter 5 verse 9, a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough, meaning a little sin in our life is enough to separate us from the Lord. We might say, I'm less sinful than that guy, but any sin in our life is in opposition to the holiness of God. So I'd like you to react to maybe a verse you've never read, Galatians 5, 9, a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. Yeah, we uh, have a tradition the night before Passover, we go searching in our homes to make sure that there's nothing leavened in the home at all, not even the slightest bit, because uh, the goal is, uh, to remove any possible shred of ego, of, of focusing on ourselves, to remove it completely, because that's what we need in order to reach God. So I certainly see in our tradition that we can relate to that concept of the goal is, certainly during this time of year, to remove all of it and to make sure there's nothing there, and that's how a person can truly repent. As we come toward the end of Exodus chapter 12, this week's Torah portion, we took a break from Leviticus to focus on Passover. I'd like to give a very encouraging word to our Christian audience and ask the rabbi to tell us about it. And that is at the end of Exodus 12, in verse 48, the Lord says to Moses, if a stranger sojourns with you and celebrates the Passover to the Lord, let his males be circumcised and let them come near to celebrate it. He shall be like a native of the land. So there were non-Jews who celebrated Passover, non-Jews who were welcomed into the people of God to celebrate the very first Passover and that's symbolic of the relationship that you and I have and that our listeners get to participate in every week, that Jews and non-Jews come together to worship and to celebrate the faithfulness of God. Absolutely. And we do have a tradition that there were many, you know, that the people all around the world, certainly in that area, were aware 
of the miracles that took place and God's salvation and joining as well. Uh, Judaism is not an exclusive religion at all in any way, and we certainly welcome the worship uh, together with other faiths. In fact, in the times of the temple, uh, people from other faiths and other nations sent sacrifices to our temple. It was a, a place that was a place of prayer, mikol ha'amim, for all nations. Uh, that's something which we're very proud of here in Israel today. Uh, like I said, well, we're preparing for Passover, but Christians here are preparing for Easter, and then just a few months from now, we'll have the Muslims preparing for the Ramadan and their iftar meals, and uh, this is something which we believe is sacred in Israel, and that we're so proud of that we're able to let it be a holy land uh, for all faiths. We're the only people running this land in history who've allowed other faiths to worship as well, and it's something which we're proud of, and it's a basic tenet uh, of the Jewish faith. And like you pointed out, Pastor, you actually see that right there in the Exodus story. And we come to the last two verses of Exodus 12. And they're both very important, and they're different. Verse 50, all the sons of Israel did so. They did just as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. So that verse talks about people being obedient, people being faithful to follow the Lord's instructions. The next verse, 51, on the same day the Lord brought the sons of Israel out of the land of Egypt. So we see in two verses, the first one, verse 50, the people doing what God called them to do. And then the last verse, number 51, God keeping his promise to do what he said he would do. And that's covenant. Covenant is, you know, both sides uh, fulfilling what they're expected to do. Uh, we know for a fact that God's going to fulfill what he promises. The big question mark is, will we do the same? And the testimony in the Bible is that the Jews did so. And as a result, God was able to follow through on his promises. And that's what hap what's happened ever since. I mean, look at the story of the people of Israel and our being in Israel uh, now to be able to celebrate Passover. Uh, it, it's not a story which makes any sense. It's a story which only makes it can be understood within the context of God. And that's because of this covenant. We fulfilling what God commanded as we did 3,400 years ago. And just like God then fulfilled his promises, so too God does now. And that's why, even if we're going into Passover, and there's, you know, we, going back to what we started with, uh, with Gaza and Hamas and Iran and all these other things, we go in with confidence, we go in with faith, we're doing our best to fulfill what God has commanded, and we absolutely know that God will fulfill his promise and that we'll continue to flourish here on this land. Rabbi, as we come to the end of our conversation today, give a blessing to our Jewish and our Christian listeners for Passover and for Easter. The blessing that I have to all is that, first and foremost, we continue to uh, work together, focus on the things that unite us and not those things that divide us. We both can celebrate the story of the Passover exodus. Uh, we both can celebrate uh, worship to God uh, in, uh, together. And uh, we should bring those messages together to the world. Uh, that's the most important element, uh, to put aside those differences that we have and each one continue to worship as they choose, but focus on what we have together. Focus on support for Israel. Focus on the morality and the values uh, which we share, which the world so desperately needs. And if we do so, uh, I don't have a doubt that together we'll be able to experience God's ultimate salvation. Hag Pesach Sameach Shabbat Shalom, my friend. Thank you. Happy Passover, happy Easter, and Shabbat Shalom Tov. Thank you for joining us for the Lone Star Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Lone Star Podcast to learn when new episodes are ready. Please join Rabbi Dove Lipman and Pastor Trey Graham next time to expand your mind and encourage your soul. May the Lord bless you and draw you to himself this week.